Welcome to New City Church. Happy birthday, New City Church. Come on. One year. You know, it's wild. <laughs> I love the balloons. Um, yeah, it's wild. We've been, uh, you know, it, when we were first planting the church and planning for it and pl to plant the church, and man, it seemed like it would never get here. Like January 11th, 2015 was like so far away, and we did so much work, and we, I mean, it's just crazy. Pete was painting in here, and we were doing all kinds of stuff downstairs and going door to door, doing community events. We just thought, man, it's never going to get here, and now we're a year later, and it's like, what the heck, you know? What has happened in the last year, man? It's just been, it's been uh, I mean, just definitely something God did. There's no way this is possible unless God just does it, amen? Man, this is incredible. So, you know, I, I, just, I just love being a part of it. You know, I've grown so much just just being a part of this church you know it, and i know a lot of people think you know you're the you're the preacher you're the pastor you're, you're the teaching one but but I, I have learned so much just doing this with you doing this together being a part of this church man god has revealed some crazy crazy stuff to me and you guys know that i'm a little weird anyway right hey amen is right so you know the, today you know we're going through the 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 story right and we've been going through the story for a little while Took a little bit of a break, going to go through the story for about three more weeks, going to take another little bit of a break, pick it back up around Easter time, you know, we just kind of, and what the story is, is an abridged version of the Bible, and it's a written in chronological order, it takes excerpts from the scripture, it's not meant to replace scripture, we believe that, just like what Heather said, that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, complete word of God, and so what we do is we, we look, at, look at the story and say, this helps us to understand the scriptures more, it helps us, points us to the the scriptures. So we're in chapter, what's called the chapter 23, and it, it's when Jesus starts his ministry. And there's a whole bunch in there, man, that I'm like, golly, we could just go into all kinds of things. I mean, it starts off talking about John the Baptist in chapter 23. And I, and I man, you could talk about John the Baptist, like, like bugs in his teeth and coming out of the woods and all kinds. That'd be awesome to do that. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you want to want to hear more about John the Baptist in the Shawnee campus uh, this week, just kind of check out the podcast or the video that's going to be played uh, uh, Chris Moix, who you guys know is going to be talking a little bit more about John the Baptist. I'm kind of going in a different direction because, like I said before, I'm a little weird. Um, John, you know, so John the Baptist, you got Jesus gets baptized, you get Jesus choosing his disciples, you, you got Jesus uh, like meeting with Nicodemus, all this kind of stuff that's going on. Uh, you know, he meets with, he it does all kinds of like miracles and things like, so you start seeing all this stuff and I'm like, man, which way do I go? Which way do I hit? I mean, he meets with the Samaritan woman at the well. And if you know anything about the history of a Samaritan person, a Samaritan person, according to the Jewish culture of the day, thought that the Samaritans were, were the skanks of the earth. They couldn't stand them, didn't want to be around them. They were half breeds, half Jews, half Greeks, if you will. And uh, half Jews, half Gentiles, if you will. And they were like, oh, no, we don't want anything to do with those guys. And Jesus is meeting with this woman the, at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. And amazingly, he treats her with great respect and love. And his disciples are like, whoa, dude, what are, you what are you doing talking to her, right? And he's treating her with great respect and great love. But he also addresses her sin. See, Jesus comes full of grace and truth, man. We're going to talk about that here in a second. See, a lot of places will say, you know, hey, uh, like you talk about the Westboro Baptists. I'm going to explain something about the Westboro Baptist folks here in a second because I understand they're, they're coming, right, to Edgerton. I'm hearing that, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, t- I'll explain that. And somebody's like, what? What's going on? Yeah, we, we, you may see him here soon. But here's Westboro Baptist. like, God hates you. We hate you. All this kind of stuff. And then you got this other group of folks in the church in, around, in America that's like, it don't matter whatever you believe. As long as you're sincere and a good person, everybody gets to go to he- heaven, you know? And so everybody, er- according to these guys, everybody goes to hell, according, except for Westboro people. And according to these guys, everybody goes to heaven. And Jesus is full of grace and truth now i'm not talking about lukewarm or wishy-washy so you guys know something that happened this past week did you know we made like national headlines our city of edgerton did did you guys know that yeah yeah the the other baptist the other church in town i almost said baptist the other pastor in town came out this week as a lesbian from the pulpit on sunday morning here's the deal that's why Westboro is like, got their, we got their attention, right? And they're like full of grace. They're like full of hard nose. God hates, God hates. And these other, got these other people that are going, good for you, girl. Go. Good for you. About times that, that you were able to expressly feel, feel expressly and, and do whatever comes natural, that kind of thing, right? So you got these people and you got these people. They're both wrong. Because here's Jesus full of grace and truth. Amen? See, Here's the thing, and I'm not going to, you'll never hear us talk about, like, rail against the sin from the pulpit. You just won't do it. Why? Because I think the scriptures are sufficient in of, of themselves. I think if we can preach the word of, of God versus trying to rail against the sin, see, what happens is so many times, and I think Satan just loves to laugh at these kind of people and these kind of people because we get so focused on this issue. Oh, yeah, well, what do you guys think? And then we go, oh, uh, what do we think? What do we think? We get focused on this or, or we get focused on that. What do you think? Oh, what do you think about this sin or that sin or this sin or that sin? And, and what we're supposed to be doing is focusing on the Lord. Focus on him, man. Let him, let him guide us. Read his word. Man, Remember the survey that we did a, did a few weeks back that over half of us do not read our Bibles. I mean, I appreciate the honesty, but does that not kind of give you a little bit of pause so that when you hear people go, well, what do you guys think or what do you guys think? You go, well, I think as soon as you hear, by the way, if you ever hear me say, I think God means run away. If you ever hear me say my truth is, I would ask that you remove me from the pulpit. With grace and truth and love. But ultimately, it's not my truth. It's what, it doesn't matter what I think or what my opinion is. What matters is what God says. Amen. John 1. And this is a powerful thing. And I want to talk about what Jesus was like as a guy. Is that cool? What was Jesus like as a guy? John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word became Say that with me. Flesh, I mean, he came as a person and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of, say those two words with me. Grace, let's do that again. Grace and truth, exactly. So this is what he was full of. He wasn't full of the, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm going to love you no matter what. It doesn't matter. And he wasn't full of, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. He was full of grace and truth. When he met with the Samaritan woman at the well, he said, yes, I know you've been married five times. You're shacking up with a dude already. Let me tell you, I'm the Messiah. Go and sin no more. And she went off and was like, 
wow, this guy's the most amazing person. It's the Messiah. And lots of people got saved because of her. And it's amazing to me because we so many times want to either go on one side or the other rather than being Christ-like. We talked about last week, Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, says that your attitude should be the what? Somebody's car's going off. (laughs) That's cool. Get him, man. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Not similar. Not reflective. It should not be almost like. It should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself what? Nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, and became, and he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And I hear this all the time. You know, this isn't as popular as it used to be. Remember those bracelets and the bumper stickers, all the, the WWJD? Check them out. Remember those? Everybody's like, what, no, what would Jesus do, right? And we don't even know what he did. Why would we ask, right? It's just it's remarkable. And so, man, I, man, I want to encourage us, like, what did he do? What kind of man was he? What kind of person was Jesus in the flesh? And I know Jesus is still alive, so I don't want to talk about him like in past tense, but I'm talking historically speaking, when he steps out of heaven and into a, the, the dwelling of the earth as a person, 100% God, 100% man, homoousia, what was he like as a man? What, was he, what did he do? Where did he go? What did he like, and what did he, he hate? So I did a, uh, a, a fully scientific, double-blind study on Facebook this past week. And I asked people, I said, hey, what, is, what was Jesus like as a, as a man, as a dude, as a person? And here's where I got all kinds of different things. I got some private messages, got some public stuff. That, but it says, I think Jesus was an, an olive-skinned, dark-haired man. Not the blue-eyed Caucasian in so many paintings. We, he knew his purpose in life and followed that purpose. Uh, somebody, somebody else said, I, I think he was just like you and me. He just never did anything wrong. Somebody, somebody else said, I think he was timid and nice, a real mellow guy. Uh, somebody said, I think Jesus was a humble, loving, hardworking, and brave. Uh, somebody else said, I thought this was kind of, I never really thought about it. Because, well, he's Jesus and you don't think of him as a man. But he was. And is with us, but but man, when he was here, he was a, a guy. Um, somebody said he's kind of like Dwayne the Rock Johnson and the Tooth Fairy after he changed his life around. Yeah, that's it, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. All right, uh, he was a good man, full of love. Somebody said. Uh, he said somebody said um, because I didn't have the best example of a father when growing up, I pictured Jesus to be more like my older brother. And finally, somebody said tall. Long hair, blue eyes, feminine features, timid, soft-spoken voice with a British accent. But don't go by my description. I've only seen him in Hollywood movies, right? So let's look at what he, I mean, let's look at what the culture, our culture portrays Jesus like. The first one is I want to show you, speaking of Hollywood movies, this is a silent movie from 1927, Cecil B. DeMille's King of Kings. And in that movie, uh, you can see, G- if you ever wanted to know which one was Jesus, it's the guy that's glowing. He glowed through every scene. This is like, oh, does he step into a nuclear reactor or something? That's kind of weird. Um, here's another one, uh, Mel Gibson's The Passion of the Christ. Great movie, no doubt. But you port- he's portrayed with long hair, kind of 
you know, uh, more Americanized features, if you will, than, than what you see in a lot of the Middle Eastern culture. Um, here's something from 1999, Jesus, the, the mini-series. And this is kind of cool. Um, if you notice, there's a motorboat in the back. That was, a, that was, a big, that was kind of a big whoops. Uh, <laughs> you see a, on NBC, you see a water skier going back. Hey, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> here's another one. This is just like Internet Yahoo searches. This is another kind of a... I call this the pretty Jesus. I don't know. It's uh, kind of a different look, I guess. Um, here's another one that, I, that I'm, I look at this and go, I don't know what's going on here, but there's something protruding out of his chest, like some light or something. Um, you know, I, th- that's another thing. Here's another cartoonish type that's um, where Jesus is like in full of the lambs and stuff. Here's one, too, and I'm not sure what this is about, but he's like checking up some deuces, uh, you know, whatever that is. I'm not sure. Um, peace out, Jesus. I, I'm not sure. Um, here, you guys know this is the Shroud of Turin. A lot of people are fascinated by this. They think this may be the, what Jesus was wrapped in. Somebody did a computer animation of what the guy in this looks like. That's the next one there. So that some people think that maybe that's what Jesus looked like. You never, you know. Um, back in 2002, popular mechanics looked at the culture of the day. They did all kinds of different studies. And they, and they did a, uh, put on the cover of the magazine what Jesus possibly really look like historically check this out totally different isn't it hey that's not the pretty jesus i want (laughs) to that's not the one i want to follow right you see let me think isaiah 53 says this about jesus about the anointed one the one that's coming said he had no beauty or majesty that would attract us to him Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And so when we start looking at some of these Hollywood movie type things, there's nothing physically different or outstanding or, or anything like that about Jesus, man. This was a, a construction worker that grew up in a poor town that had, had no influence politically, no power in, in, in any way. I mean, other than just making people that were in power very angry. But he really like, had no advantages of any kind. I mean, when you think about a Jesus that is portrayed in some of these movies and in the pictures and, then, and in the paintings, you think of a, a feminized uh, you know, guy sitting in a lotus position, burning incense and spouting off stuff that you'd find on a fortune cookie, man. This is not Jesus. Jesus was a tough, calloused, radical, rebellious, protector of women, lover of the lost, outlaw. We'll talk about that here in a second. When you look at the fact of what Jesus stepped into, the history that Jesus stepped into, he stepped into the Roman Empire. I want to show you some, some things. You know, it's kind of uh, like if you notice all the sculptures in the first century Roman Empire all have short hair, right? So, so that kind of goes into what we're talking about here. But the culture of Roman citizenship, man, or the Roman first century um, culture, man, they were very advanced. A lot of people think, well, it's 2,000 years ago and and these people were sort of Neanderthals, and they were backwoods, and they didn't understand a whole lot. You hear people, when they talk about the Bible, think, well, that was, was 2,000 years ago. You know, it was almost like caveman time. And, but you ought to understand, man, the Roman, Roman culture, the Roman empire was very heavily focused on education and art and philosophy and intellectual and technological advances. There are things, guys, that we still can't figure out how they did, and I'll talk about those in a second. But, you know, one of the cultures was, one of the, one of the things about the culture was that, that sex was just as natural as, as eating and breathing and just living. 
you should whatever comes naturally. So this is the this is the culture that Jesus steps into. And I think that we're pretty similar to that here in, in America. Amen. See, one of the things that, that you find fascinating about the Roman Empire is that they had central, some of the houses had central heating and air. Or central heating, I'm sorry, not air conditioning yet. Central heating, indoor plumbing. Uh, they also had um, a coin, what's called, a, according to the historian Heron, there was a coin-operated vending machine that dispensed holy water. So they'd throw a coin in this, in this vending machine and out would come holy water. I mean, they were pretty far advanced. They weren't like... Like just, uh, you know, they had some machinery. There was, uh, they even were able to, and I don't know if you're, if some of you construction guys could figure this out, but they were able to figure out how to set concrete underwater. We still can't figure that out, but they were able to do it. At some of their docks and everything, it's really fascinating. And they also understood that the earth was round. A lot of people think those were flat earth people and that kind of thing. They actually believed the earth to be round and, in fact, calculated it within, a th- within 300 miles of, of the actual calculation of the earth it's amazing so jesus steps into history in this way and he steps into a culture in this way and he and what we find out is he's actually able to to engage the culture in a way full of grace full of truth and people are still talking about him two thousand years later see what's what's fascinating to me is that here's the king of kings lord of lords who comes into a poor existence has to work for a living has to has to develop his 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 toughness over as he grows up and he was still invited to the parties you ever, you ever think about that? Oh, let me, Mark 2, 13 through 17, and, and in the story page 331, here's what's, uh, what's talking, here's what, we'll talk about that, but this is what Jesus was sitting, and this was, you know, if you know anything about tax collectors, they were the worst of the worst of the Roman Empire. And look at this when we start verse 13. It says, once again, Jesus went out beside a lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, whoa, the king of kings, lord of lords, I mean, this is not what religious people do. They don't go to these places, right? Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why is he hanging out with those people? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And guys, that's what we're here to do. Do what Jesus did. It is not about coming and, and finding, a, giving a, a, a new religion to people and giving a new church to people and all this kind of thing. It is truly about bringing people into the understanding of who God is so that they can accept Christ and be saved and be disciples and learn what it means to obey. Amen. Jesus was a radical, rebellious outlaw, according to the religious establishment, who had developed over 10,000 rules and regulations in addition to the 600 plus rules and regular commandments of scripture man they had developed they put people in shackles and one of the ways that that they put people in shackles they made them do things that didn't have anything to do with scripture said you got to do this and this and this and this and this and this so you can obey this part of scripture and this it it truly is a, a remarkable thing one of the things that they had said people needed to do was to wash their hand have a ceremonial hand washing and in luke 11 jesus is going into the 
he's dining with the Pharisees. They had invited him over for lunch, and they said, hey, man, we've got to find out who this guy is. They weren't trying to be nice to him. They were trying to see what, they're trying to keep their enemies closer, if you will. And so he's dining with these guys. And then when Jesus, and in thir- verse 37, he was t- Jesus was talking to him, and he said, when Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited, invited him to eat with him, and so he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. In fact, I think Jesus did, I'm, I'm sure Jesus did this on purpose, knowing what they were going to do. He's like, yeah, they're expecting me to wash my hands. That's what they're saying. That's what, what, what makes me holy. They need to figure this out, and I need to make a point. So he dips his hand in the hummus. I'm, yeah, I don't know. Everybody's like, ooh, Gross. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. He did this publicly as well, as well as privately. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the what? Love of God. Yeah, you're doing all the right stuff, but you got nothing in your hearts, player. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace. Oh, you want to just get your... Get your fill. You want to want people to come up and go, wow, look at you guys. Man. No, have the greatest seed here. Woe to you because you're like unmarked graves which people walk over without knowing it. Man, this guy was throwing down. One of the experts in the law answered him. Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Let's hold on before we go to the next slide because I love this, Right? So the teacher, you got Pharisees, you got teachers of the law, you got different sects that are sitting there dining with Jesus, and, and D- Jesus is trashing the Pharisees, and some other people come to the Pharisees' defense, hey, Jesus, you're hurting our feelings too. And Jesus backs off, go, oh, man, I'm sorry. No, no, he didn't. I love this. Jesus replied, and you, experts in the law, woe to you, because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift a finger to help them. He did not play around when it came to the, comes to the truth of God. See, when people put, when, when, when churches put people in shackles, when, when the religious establishment says you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you can't do this, you can't do that, man, and it's not even in Scripture, man, don't, don't fall into that trap, man. Understand, it is for freedom that Christ set us free, but not so that we could do whatever we wanted, whatever felt natural. Jesus' ministry was on the move. He was truthful. He was urgent. He was obviously sinless, even though he's tempted in every way. What a lot of people don't understand is most likely Jesus was physically in shape. A construction worker growing up, walked everywhere he went, didn't get drunk, didn't, wasn't a glutton, didn't any, do any of that stuff, you know, never really stressed out or anything, you know, worked hard but rested appropriately. He was a servant. As a man, he was just would wash people's feet. And he came to serve, not to be served. And he was a teacher who never wavered on the standard of God. And he loved enough to tell people the truth, and he gave them enough grace so that they could accept it. And he did that. And we're going to land this plan. We're going to finish this off with the, the final, basically Jesus was about to leave the earth, and he's sitting there talking to Peter. And he's telling Peter some stuff, man. And, and it's just, 
crazy that he didn't he didn't waver on this. He didn't say, Peter, I don't want to tell you this, Peter. I, but he's saying, Peter, this is going to happen. And in John 21, 18 through 22, he's talking to Peter. He says, I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. Well, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Now, Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Is that what he said? This is the kind of death that's going to glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Everybody say, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who's going to betray you? He's talking about the disciple John. And Peter saw him and asked, Lord, what about him? Peter, you're going to die a, a, a crazy, horrible death for the glory of God. Follow me. And as Peter's following him, he sees John's following him. Hey, hey, Jesus, what about, what about him? Is he going to have the same fate as me? And I love this answer Jesus gave. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. In other words, don't worry about that. I, I told you what's going to happen. You just follow me. Don't get distracted. Don't get torn into this kind of stuff. Away by this, by this, the, the thoughts of the day. Don't get pulled away by, well, get pulled away other than you stay focused on me and you follow me. How are we going to respond? When people say, what are you, are you going to let those kind of people in your church? Grace. And truth, right? What does Scripture say? Re man, get into the Word, man. Uh, arm yourself with this so that you can understand what it means to follow. You can understand what it means to obey. You can understand what it means to have grace and truth. You can follow along the example of Christ when He came as a man and how people responded to Him was amazing. He actually called people out in sin. They did it gracefully enough where they went around and they told people about Jesus, and people were saved because of it. It's amazing to me. We get so focused on this sin, or that sin, or that sin, or that sin, and we get so angry about it, we get, so, so we get arguing about it. We can't. I never saw Jesus rail against a sin. I kept pointing people to the Father. Did he call it out? Yeah, he did. I also never saw Jesus come to people and go, it doesn't matter as long as you're sincere, as long as you're nice, as long as you're charitable, as long as you give. You know, you can come along with me and I'll take you to heaven. No big deal. I know you don't, you're, don't believe in me or anything. He never said that. He was full of grace and truth. He was radical. He was a lover of the lost. He was on the move. He was a servant. He was a teacher. He was a tough construction worker. He was a protector of women. Most amazing man to ever live. The toughest guy to ever live. And when he said, he's sitting with his, breaking bread with his disciples. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. This wine is my blood, 
which I've shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I want to remember Jesus, the flesh, the blood, the man that we can learn from about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower, what it means to be a, a lover of people, truly loving people, not just accepting of, hey, whatever you believe, it don't matter. Just come on in. We, we're going to affirm whatever. No, no, no. It's not about that. Man, it's about loving somebody enough to tell them the truth. Amen? And so when we are taking communion today, man, remember, do this in true remembrance of who Jesus really is. What was he like as a person? And do we emulate that? Do we, do we have that same mindset? Scriptures also talk about that if you, if you have anything against a brother, if you have, a brother has something against you, before you take this, go make that right. I've had to do that. I've had to leave a service before. Been a while. I had to go make it right with the brother. I said, I can't take it. I got to go. So where you going? I got to go make it right. That's what the scriptures say. Be radical enough to do that. Amen? Father, we love you. And as we take this bread and we take this Welch's wine, um, Lord, uh, may we just do this and remember what you did. And remember what you continue to do and remember who you are. We love you so much. And God, if there's anybody here that needs to make it right with somebody else before they take this and cast judgment on themselves, may they do so now. We are not here to play church, God. We are not here to just be open and inviting to to everyone who wants to do whatever they want to do. God, it is about you and your kingdom. Whatever you said is what we do, Lord. Whatever you want is what we want. It's in your son's name. All God's people said, amen.